Good morning. Welcome to church. It's good to see you guys. You can stand with us. We're going to sing. I'm going to pray first. God, thank you so much for this wonderful morning. We're so thankful to be here gathered with your people. And we just ask that you would fill this place this morning with your presence. God, I just ask that you would raise our awareness of your presence so that we would sense you here with us, that we would hear your voice, that we would feel your comfort and your peace. That God, as we sing these songs, there will be things that really resonate with us and we connect with you. There'll be things that maybe are a struggle, they feel difficult and hard. And we just ask your Holy Spirit, just be with us in, in both of those tensions, God, that as we connect with the words and we feel it, in a personal way, and the ones that we're struggling to believe or we're not seeing right now, we ask, God, that you would help us to declare those things by faith, to present them as a prayer to you. And we just ask, God, that at the end of it all, that you would be glorified, that we would make much of you, because that's why we're here. We're here to meet with you. We're here to encounter you. We're here to worship and glorify you. So we just ask that, if all else fails, that you would be honored in this place this morning, God. That even if everything goes wrong and nothing goes to plan and all of our agendas are just ruined, we just ask that we can walk away and be grateful that you were made much of in this place. Amen. Let's do it this morning.
crazy. This screen back here is frozen. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah. But we don't have lyrics. That's why I said pop quiz. And I realized you guys have lyrics because you guys totally were getting the words. I was like very impressed. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Cheaters. <laughs> and now I look like a crazy person. <laughs> cool. Can you, you might want to like turn that off and turn it back on. Okay. I'm right. being tested because I said if everything goes wrong. So that's what I get for praying yep. that. I still have faith. Way it's to go. all good. As long as we praise God, it's a victory. And I want that water. Psalm 123. I lift my eyes up to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Nothing can stand 
relevant to our experience this morning. Cool. 
guys a hand. They put up with a lot. Great <laughs> job, right. you guys. For real, all of you. Amen. You may be seated. What I was thinking is, you know, here at BFCN, we're just really committed to this truth that we're all messy and we don't have it all together all the time. And we just want to make that a really comfortable environment for all of you. Uh, but in all seriousness, it has been quite the morning. Um, there's, we've just been having to roll with all kinds of punches this morning. So it's just one of those days. Um, COVID complicating things as per usual. Uh, music, you know, screens going out because they do that. <laughs> and they do that everywhere all the time. Um, hearing strange noises and speakers or something. Like it's just, it's always something, right? But um, as I think about all the distractions and the things that can really throw us off, the important thing is, is we are here to worship the Lord. And we can do that in our hearts regardless of whether or not everything is running perfectly smooth because it's not always going to run perfectly smooth. And that's, that's life, right? And so we just got to learn to um, worship the Lord truly in our hearts regardless of whether or not someone is facilitating that for us or if it's going perfectly well. And so here's the thing. I know that there are a lot of people in here who are carrying burdens this morning. We sing uh, that song, The Father's House, and we talk about burdens and laying them down, and that's language that we use a lot in the church. But I wonder how often we actually do that. How often do we come before the Lord and lay down what it is that's hurting us? What is it that's bothering us? What's got us feeling sad? I think that a lot of us are carrying burdens this morning, and I know a lot of you are from talking with you. And so I just want to invite you. Like, I know we kind of do the same thing every week, but we aren't just going through the motions here. And I want to invite you to truly lay down your burdens before the Lord. Or for some of you, just offer him a word of praise if you feel like you're not carrying a burden at this particular moment, chances are you just laid one down and you just kind of came through that, or chances are there's, it's coming, right? And so if you're in the, in the between, on the mountaintop, give him your praise. But let's be intentional about this time of prayer as we, as we pray together as the body of Christ. I just want to encourage you to just lay it down. Come as you are. Open yourself up fully to the Lord and allow him to meet you where you are. Can we do that this morning? Can we invite him to meet us? Let's pray. God, this morning, that's what we're doing. We are inviting you, Lord, to draw near. God, as we invite you to draw near to us, I can say with confidence, Lord, that there are people in here this morning or those who are watching at home this morning who are carrying heavy burdens. Lord, in a congregation this size, we can say pretty confidently each week that someone, at least a family, is carrying burdens. The reality is we know that many of us likely are. And God, this is a space where we don't, 
We don't come in here and just pretend like everything's fine when it's not. We want to be real. We want to be authentic. And, and sometimes that means just acknowledging I'm not okay. Things in my life are not okay. And God, we know that you invite, you invite us to acknowledge that. Because the truth is, God, you meet us. You meet us there in that space where we may say, I'm not okay, I'm frustrated, all is not well with my soul, I'm, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm weary, I'm thirsty. And we don't just acknowledge that and then move on, but God, we pause and we allow you to meet us there. We invite you to meet us there. We long for you to meet us there. So that's what we do this morning. God, I pray that you would draw near to those who, who bear heavy burdens this morning. Draw near to those who are in a time of transition. Draw near to those whose hearts might feel heavy today. Draw near to those, Jesus, those who are, are physically ill today, those who are physically suffering today. Draw near to those who had plans on being here today but weren't able to. Would you meet them in their homes? Would you draw near to them? God, we... We come before you offering up our burdens and laying those down, but we also come before you this morning acknowledging your goodness and your mercy, your healing and your forgiveness and your relentless love. God, we praise you. We praise you for being a God that holds us when we can't hold it together. God, we praise you for being a God who is patient with us. God, we thank you, we praise you that you see us in our moments where we feel otherwise unseen. God, would you move in this place in a new and fresh way this morning? God, right here in this moment, would you just help us to know that you are here? Help us to feel your Holy Spirit. God, we don't want to fabricate a fake moment, but just help us to see you and hear you and feel you and know you this morning. God, as we open up your word, I pray that you would, as always, would you guide us and instruct us. God, would you help this word to be made new before us this morning. God, may your living word be used to teach, to guide, to correct, to steer and we open ourselves up fully to your word and to your Holy Spirit this morning. God, we love you. 
We thank you for who you are to us. We pray all these things confident in the one who hears us. We pray this in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 That's right. <laughs> well, this morning, if you are wanting to follow along in your Bibles or on your smartphones or however you plan to read, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 this morning. And um, I'm going to do that really annoying thing where I invite you to stand after you just sat down, <laughs> if you're able to. No obligation. We're just going to uh, stand together and, and follow along as we read the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 9 this morning. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, <clears throat> Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is the word of the Lord this morning, friends. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord that might be a little challenging, a little peculiar for us this morning, uh, which we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. But first, I just want to start off by saying you're welcome. And I know some of you are like, why? Thank you. Why? Uh, and that is because you're welcome because as I was preparing the sermon this week and as I was thinking about this passage that so uh, perfectly also fits with the following passage, verses 57 through 62, I noticed that these, are, these, these two passages go together, but these are also two separate sermons. So you're welcome for realizing that this week and not preaching for an hour this morning. I was very self-aware, and so I went ahead and said, we're going to do part two next week. And so for that, you are welcome. You're going to get to lunch on time, hopefully, if all goes well. Um, but we are in Luke. Uh, we are in a, the fourth Sunday of our series that takes place in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, one of the reasons that I was drawn to kind of walk at a slower pace through the Gospel of Luke is because of the themes that stand out to me as I have read through the Gospel of Luke. And that is this theme of outsiders. You've heard it a million times already, and we're just getting started. But this theme of, of outsiders being welcomed in by Jesus, this theme of those who have been pushed to the margins or those who are on the fringes, they are constantly and consistently welcomed in by Jesus. And so we see this theme all throughout the Gospel of Luke, and yet we see this in a different way. We're not really preaching the same message over and over, although sometimes it might feel like that. But even then, I'm confident if we're preaching the same message over and over for several weeks, maybe, just maybe, we'll start to get it, right? Because sometimes we just need to hear it over and over again. But this week, we're going to notice a particular group of outsiders, and that is the Samaritans. 
And, and this is the first moment in Luke's gospel where we hear about the Samaritans in this light and we start to pick up on some tensions that may or may not exist. Fire's being called down from heaven, so I think there's a little bit of tension here. Did you pick up on that? Uh, did you notice how I read that? I was a little cheery when I read that and a little perky, but it's because of the confidence that we're going to unpack in just a moment. But in this passage, we are made aware of these tensions that exist between the Jewish community and the Samaritan community. And I tried to, to find a way to help you understand the tensions that exist this morning without going into what could be a third sermon, okay? And so for those of you who are just um, not sure about this tension that, that exists between the Jews and the Samaritans, I'm going to give you the super short condensed virgin, version this morning. And that is that the Samaritans are a fringe segment, of the Jewish community. I heard one scholar put it this week. He kind of jokingly said, you could almost see the Samaritans as like the second cousins once removed from the Jewish community. And what that means is, is then this tension goes way back. Like the tensions run deep and they go pretty far back, all the way back to 721 BC. We're not going to stay here long. Don't get bored yet. But these tensions go all the way back because at this time in 721 BC, Samaria was this tribal area that was conquered and pretty much destroyed by the Assyrians in 721 BC. And so during the rehabilitation period, this area became a place that was repopulated with people who had already been there, but also people from other areas. And so this caused a combination of beliefs to, to start to grow in this area. And so you had people who would worship Yahweh, but they would also be open to other ways of worshiping, and they would be open to the practices of pagan worship. So there was kind of a mixture of things happening here. And as you can tell, this really frustrated and angered the Jewish community who were completely faithful to Yahweh, who were completely faithful to God while these fringe Samaritans, well, we aren't really sure who they're committed to or who they are, who, who holds all of their faith, right? And so that's kind of in a nutshell. You can actually go and, and read in 2 Kings chapter 17, and that gives us also kind of a glimpse into what I'm saying here, just so you know that I'm speaking truth this morning. In 2 Kings chapter 17, we read, Each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled, and they set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. They worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines and at the high places. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. And the chapter ends with, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. And to this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. That is important so that you can understand why the Jews felt so strongly about Samaritans. And you can understand then 
When James and John respond so harshly in this moment in Luke chapter 9, you understand that this is because of this animosity that has existed for a very long time. And you have Jewish people who are committed to the temple in Jerusalem, right? That's the proper place of worship, and they're committed to their Torah, where you had Samaritans who didn't buy into the fact that it had to be worship, had to take place in Jerusalem, and they even had their own version of the Torah. And so there is great division that is uh, felt and seen in this passage. And as Luke has just made very clear to us, Jesus is fixed on going where? Jerusalem. His eyes are fixed. He is headed toward Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, you almost like collective eye roll happening here, right? Like, of course he's headed to Jerusalem is kind of how I pictured that. You could also flip over to John chapter 4. We're not going to we're not going to hover there very long, but you can, John in his gospel also highlights some of the tensions that exist here. I tell you, the story of the woman at the well just keeps popping up unexpectedly everywhere I turn. But, but in that passage, Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman, not just any woman, but a Samaritan woman. And we pick up on the tensions as she says to Jesus, a male rabbi, she is making a point to argue with a male rabbi, and she says, our ancestors, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the proper place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So again, these tensions are are seen everywhere, and we can say a lot more about it, but what we need to understand is that this tension runs deep. Each group thought they were right. Each group believed this is the proper form of worship. No, this is a proper form of worship. This is the correct way of thinking. No, this is a correct way of thinking. This is the way you should believe. This is what you should understand. No, this is what you should understand. Aren't you so glad we don't have to deal with that today? Like all I was thinking as I was preparing this week is I am so glad that we don't have to deal with those kinds of tensions. I am so glad that we, the global church made up of more denominations than we could possibly name, we don't deal with these problems, right? We don't deal with these issues of ordain women or don't ordain women, instruments during worship or no instruments during worship. Baptism as an infant or baptism at a mature age. Divine election or freedom in relationship. Too much liturgy, not enough liturgy. Fundamentalists or more generous interpretation of scripture. I'm so glad we don't fight over these things. All right, good. You're picking up on the dripping sarcasm there. I wasn't sure, but you are, so we're good. We're good. Right? We understand that, that especially those of us who, who don't share the exact same belief in, as other denominations, we are very well aware of the tensions that arise when we come up against a different understanding or interpretation of Scripture or, or a particular understanding of God and a different understanding of God. And that, friends, that doesn't even touch 
the issues that we have within our own denomination, right? That doesn't even acknowledge the issues that the Church of the Nazarene might have in her church, and that doesn't acknowledge the issues we even might have in our own congregation where we see these differences. And before you know it, I mean, this is relevant, right? Like, I'm not crazy. This is relevant, (laughs) We see things very differently from other people who love and serve God. And before you know it, we get so worked up. We get so worked up about somebody not seeing or understanding God or other things the way we do. And before you know it, we are essentially calling down fire from heaven that this person might be destroyed because that must be what God wants. There is no way that God is okay with what's happening here. And a lot of times that's what we're doing without maybe even realizing that we are doing that. Listen, the issues are different. I understand and respect that. The issues that the Samaritans and the Jews were having with one another are not the same as our issues, but we understand, we can sympathize, we can relate to this, right? There's no sense in pretending that these, that these issues don't exist because they do. And as we see in this passage, James and John are big mad that the Samaritans are opposing Jesus and that that they are not opening up their homes in hospitality and with hospitable hearts, right? And and so in their minds, this is just the same as Elijah. Again, we're going back to to kings, right? And and God called fire down from heaven for Elijah. So Jesus, I think maybe you ought to do that as well. And Jesus, while not acknowledging that maybe head on in so few words, he says this isn't the same, right? We kind of understand that this is not the same. In this passage, what we have is a contrast. We see how James and John respond to this Samaritan opposition that Jesus faced and we, we see how Jesus faced this opposition or responded to this opposition. James and John were on team wrath and, and experienced the wrath of God and God's judgment right now. Like enough's enough. It's time to experience God's wrath and God's judgment right now. We want swift justice. This is war. And we just need to get rid of these enemies once and for all. I know I'm embellishing quite a bit, but I, I feel like the passion is there. Similar passion is is what's present here. But we see in Jesus' frustratingly short response, I must confess, we see that that's not what Jesus wants. In a nutshell, he rebukes them. And so just from what we read, we know that that's not what Jesus wants. And yet I find it fascinating, and some of you might have already noticed this in your Bibles or on your Bible app this morning, that this is one of those passages where there are verses that were added and have, further, have later been removed, right? Like some of you might have that notation in your Bible that says some manuscripts add an expanded conclusion to verse 55 and an additional sentence in verse 56. I went back and reread those this week, and I think it's worth reading, whether or not it was, it was said or if it was just implied to clarify what Jesus was talking about, I think it's worth reading because those verses would say, and Jesus said to the disciples, you don't realize what your hearts are like. 
That would have been Jesus' response. You don't realize what your hearts are like, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. That's worth reading, right? And and again, here's the thing. Whether or not that was original to to the manuscript, whether or not that may have been added later just to clarify, but the thing is, it doesn't matter to me because that tracks right? That tracks. That is how Jesus typically responds. And so I don't have a difficult time believing. This is not hard for me to believe that this is what Jesus intended to communicate in rebuking the disciples. Everything that we read about Jesus in the gospels indicates to me and supports that Jesus indeed came to save, not destroy, right? Jesus came to redeem, not destroy, Jesus came to renew, not destroy. Jesus came to give life and life to the full. And he can't do that if the first thing he does at the sign of opposition is destroy. Like, really, if Jesus destroyed everyone that had been opposed to him, we would have nothing to read. (laughs) Like, it would be the end, right? Like, and, and destroy might be a little harsh, but... I mean, they were calling fire down from heaven to, like, incinerate the Samaritans. And so if, if Jesus' response was, was that harsh at the first sign of opposition, we, there would be no one left, right? And so again, I, I can't help but again turn our attention to the Samaritan woman. If you have time later, go back and reference John chapter 4 when Jesus is responding to her. Because again, that's Samaritan opposition as well. It's intense Samaritan opposition because again, she's a woman, a female Samaritan who is arguing with a Jewish rabbi about what is true and what's right and what's not. And Jesus, he lovingly engages in a conversation with her. And he does correct her right? Like, I will, I will acknowledge that. Jesus does correct her. He says, you worship what you don't understand. You don't understand. But, I mean, he guides her to the truth, but he does that in a loving, in a loving way rather than declaring her as his enemy. He sets an example once again. Jesus once again sets the precedent here that we are to follow. And that is, friends, there is so much value in a charitable conversation with those who don't see things the same way you see them. It is so important to engage in a loving, grace-filled conversation with those who don't see things the way you see them. And a lot of times what we're tempted to do, what our flesh wants to do, and it's because we're just so passionate, right? We are so passionate about what we believe, and that can be a good thing to feel so much passion about what you believe. But in, we get so, that passion overtakes us, and then before you realize it, we are declaring someone as enemy or saying that there's no way you can be a Christian, there's no way you can worship the same God I worship, and we've completely opposed them and essentially called down fire from heaven rather than even entertaining the possibility of having a conversation with someone. And this just keeps coming up over and over again, and I think it's time to start paying attention to it. 
everywhere I go lately, everyone I talk to lately, this is something that keeps coming up, that the church, the church, not just this church, you guys know when I say the church, I'm grouping us in with the, the church at large. The church has not done, for the most part, a very good job at creating an atmosphere for dialogue. And in some ways, it's discouraging because some leaders in the church say, it's too late. It's too late. We should have had the conversations a long time ago. Five, seven years ago, we should have started having hard conversations about cultural issues that we see and how how we respond. The church doesn't make enough room for charitable conversations. And while it might be too late and we might be behind the curve a little bit, I don't think it's too late to at least start having those conversations. I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. But I was just reminded this week, talking with a good friend, that we need to be having more conversations so that we can seek to see and understand one another rather than just declaring them as enemies and opposed to God. Right? And and so as I'm processing this and thinking about this, don't be surprised if you see opportunities in the near future where we can just gather around a table and have conversations. Okay? And I don't know what that looks like yet. I don't know when that's going to happen or where it's going to happen, but it needs to happen. And I feel that conviction strongly. Because I, I can preach my convictions from this platform. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, right? I can preach my convictions and and I can share things from my perspective, but that's not really fair to you because you don't even have a chance to respond. And I tell you all the time, like open door policy, you can come in and and we can talk about these things anytime, but maybe we need to create a more intentional space where we can gather together and just engage in a charitable conversation. Because friends, what we need to remind ourselves of There's a healthy way to do this, and then there's an unhealthy way. But what we need to remind ourselves of is that we take our cues from Jesus. We know we don't take our cues from culture, but we also don't always take our cues from other Christians. They don't always have it the right, figured out the right way. They're not always doing what Jesus does. And so we take our cues from Jesus. And throughout the Gospels, While everyone else was committed to declaring one another enemy, while people were committed to drawing boundary lines and deciding that those who aren't for us are against us and they're our enemy, while that was happening, Jesus was destroying boundary lines. Jesus was engaging in conversation with those who would listen, and he was declaring that judgment belongs to God, not us. That's another thing we need to understand from this passage is that the judgment doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God and God alone. It's his judgment. That doesn't mean Jesus doesn't address judgment for those of you who just got uncomfortable because pastor's preaching against judgment again, right? Go look at chapter 10. I hold this passage very closely with chapter 10 where Jesus has strong Uh, words of judgment. He, He brings out the woes. Woe to you, those who aren't hospitable to the Spirit of God. There's judgment coming for them. So Jesus is not saying, he doesn't, he's not refraining from addressing judgment, but he's saying that it's God's judgment, 
not our word. And perhaps Jesus' response to James and John, who want destruction and war, and maybe it was a little surprising. But as we see, as we go through the Gospels, it's not the first time that Jesus has surprised those around him, and it certainly won't be the last, right? I like how N.T. Wright says it. He talks about this passage, and he says, This is the progress of the gospel of the kingdom, which is a message of love, of a grace so strong, so wide-ranging and so surprising that many will find it shocking and surprising. Church, if we're honest, I think we could say that this story reminds us that sometimes our greatest division, and maybe if we're even being really honest, sometimes our greatest hatred, because sometimes we just need to call the beast what it is, and it's hatred. Sometimes our greatest hatred is reserved for those who worship the same God. We certainly have our minds made up about those who are outside our circle, right? Not, I'm not praising that, not saying that's a good thing, but that's pretty clear. We, we are pretty much on the same page with those who, who are opposed to Christianity, those who maybe who we feel are oppressive toward Christianity, those who aren't even following the same God we follow. Like we already, we feel a certain way about those. And we just maybe kind of push them to the outside of our mind. But those who are within this circle called Christianity, those who, who love and worship the same God, sometimes they are the victims of our deepest hatred. Sometimes they are on the receiving end of, of the strong feelings that we feel when they don't see things exactly as we do. And for some time now, I have felt that we've allowed issues that divide and separate us to determine whether or not someone is for God or against God. It grieves me Every time, and let's just be honest, most of the time people don't say this to my face. I'm reading it on social media most of the time, but that's just as damaging. Most of the time, uh, but when, I'm, when I read these things, it grieves me where we begin to question whether or not someone is actually a Christian because there's no way you can be a Christian and believe blank. Right? There's no way you can be a Christian and support Blank. I don't have to give you examples. You know what we're talking about. All the things. All the things that divide us. And that's a long list these days. Right? I've had conversations with people who are just grieved that they're brothers and sisters. And listen, these are people who love Jesus. These are people who read scripture. These are people who are being discipled by other Christians. These are not fringe Christians. These are people who love the Lord, who wholeheartedly love the Lord. And they, because of, of their reading of scripture, they interpret things different, differently than their brothers and sisters in Christ. And their hearts are broken when others judge them and say, there's no way you can be a Christian and support that. Friends, I think that's a problem. And I think at the very least, we need to invite those people into a conversation. 
with the goal, by the way, the goal is not to change or convert. The goal is to understand. Help me understand. What are you seeing that I'm not seeing? How do you reconcile this? Show me in script. Help me understand. Like, that's what we should seek to do. Because that's what Jesus did. He made room for those who opposed him. He made room for those who didn't always see things the same way. And so, as Luke says, Jesus has his face set toward Jerusalem. Toward those, by the way, who he knows will oppose him. Because guess what? It's not just going to be the Samaritans. We know how this story ends, don't we? It's not just Samaritans who will oppose him. In fact, it seems like they just kind of disappear compared to the rest of the Jewish community that ends up opposing Jesus. But Jesus, regardless of how ugly it's going to get, regardless of how much opposition he is about to face, he sets his face toward Jerusalem. See, in this passage, Samaria represents opposition toward the movement of Jesus in the minds of James and John. But Jesus reminds them, and I think it's a reminder to us too, that opposition doesn't scare him. He's not afraid of that opposition. And he reminds us that it's God who will judge those who are not hospitable to the spirit and the kingdom of God. I think the question for us this morning, at least a question to get us started, is who or what is our opposition? Who is your opposition? What is your opposition? And how are you responding? What is your response? Are we quick to speak for God, suggesting what he should do and how he should handle these that we've declared as enemies? Or do we continue to make space for those who may or may not be misguided and continue to do our best to lovingly point them toward the kingdom of God that is at hand rather than declaring them enemy, but seeing them as brother and sister, those whom God sees and God loves. John Wesley, we are Wesleyans, we follow a lot of the, we follow the the theology of John Wesley, and this is what he would say about that removed text that we read moments ago. John Wesley says, the spirit of Christianity is not one of wrath and vengeance, but of peace and gentleness and love. As we close this morning, I'm going to invite the praise team to come as we prepare for a time of response. But I want to say again, as I kind of prepare to shift us to next week, to kind of anticipate next week, I want to remind you again that at the beginning of this passage, Luke says that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In other words, he firmly fixes himself toward the cross, right? This is a a shift in the plot. You should understand that, that with the language that Luke is using, he wants us to understand that this is like act two. This is a, a major 
plot shift as things change. And there's some foreshadowing here as Jesus, again, fixes his eyes on Jerusalem, knowing that Jerusalem would not only be the city that opposes Jesus, but knowing that they would be the ones to seize and crucify him. And Jesus, knowing that, he firmly fixes himself toward Jerusalem, not once ceasing to love, serve, and make peace among those there. Have we resolved to do the same for those who oppose us? For those who we may decide are against us? Whether they're Christian or not, how can we better love and come alongside those who may disagree, who may not see things the same way? Is it possible, church? I have to wonder. This has been heavy on my heart this week. Is it possible that by rejecting certain people and certain conversations that we are actually rejecting, where the Spirit of God is at work, opening ourselves up to being fully guided and and maybe even corrected by the Spirit of God. Carla Sundberg, she says, finger pointing and continual criticism is the modern day version of calling down brimstone and fire from heaven. So this morning, as we prepare to respond, I just want to encourage you to just pause before the Lord and open yourself up and and ask God to show you, is this me? Do I do this? I want to pray for us this morning. Lord, my prayer for us as we pause and allow you to speak into our hearts. Lord, would you make clear all the things that I may have messed up? Make clear the message here for your church, for us. And Lord, would you just fill our hearts this morning with an attitude that is gracious and loving and hospitable and not an attitude that is one of rejection. God, would you, through the power, only the power of your Holy Spirit that helps us to look more like you, God, would you help us to be willing to accept those whom you send into our lives, not rejecting or condemning them, but giving you the freedom to move and speak and guide and correct. And God, the reality is sometimes it's them who will be corrected. Sometimes it might be the other person who needs guidance and correction. But God, would you help us to see that sometimes it's us Sometimes we are the one who is misguided. Sometimes we are the one whose conviction is not Christ-like. 
Sometimes we, sometimes I am the one who is not creating an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit of God to move and to give a new imagination as to what the kingdom of God is doing in our midst. So God, would you just guide us? Would you help us to see others the way you see them? And would you give us the strength to love them the way you love them? This is our prayer this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
short-term missions trip to Brazil. On that trip, my coffee epiphany happened. I had freshly roasted black coffee, and it was great. Came home from Brazil, and it started the process of me diving down the rabbit hole of roasting coffee. No plans for a business that was not on my radar. All I was really doing is trying to find great-tasting black coffee. And eventually, I got there. Did you see her comment about Java? No. Adding that to that? Mm -mm. I greet the people to come through the door. They look at me and they're like, where are the convicts? And I'm like, right here. I was incarcerated. And um, when I came home six years ago, I needed a job. Being in, in prison and people finding out my offense, would I be hireable? Would somebody want to work with me? Would they trust me uh, when I did something that wasn't uh, worthy of trust? A week into the job, Pete 
pulled me into the office, and of course I'm very nervous as to why he wanted to talk to me in the office, uh, but he presented me with a key, a key to the door, and said, you're showing up this early, you need a key to get in here to start your day. And I just broke down in tears because here I am in the first week and Pete trusted me enough to give me, in air quotes, the keys to the business. People are released from prison into neighborhoods all across the U.S. Our goal, put roasting plants all over so we can employ locally but on a national level. It gives us the ability to do this key thing. If you place an order today, we roast your coffee today, and you get that coffee today. It all happens today. The coffee we roast needs to be in the top 1% from a quality standpoint. We've got employees that because they have a label of felon are seen by society as being in the bottom 1% from a human quality standpoint. But here, they're producing product rated in the top 1%. We're doing that so that the quality of their work will change the perception of the public. Thirteen years, the parole board said they were gonna let me go in two and a half years, and I couldn't believe it. I just started crying and said, "Thank you, Jesus." Louis Dooley was our second employee. He was a gangbanger and a drug user and a drug seller and all of those kinds of things. But Louis has become one of my dear friends because of knowing him as a person in this business. When I met Pete, I went up to him, introduced myself. Say, I'm an ex-felon, you said you give them jobs, can I have an application? And that Friday, I was in the back room roasting coffee, so in less than a week of meeting him, I had a job, my first job. He doesn't work here anymore, and he is doing the next thing that God has called him to do, that we were instrumental in just being accepting and redemptive and all of those things for Lewis that God was asking us to do. fun I've ever had doing anything is this business. The employees, the coffee roasting, the tasting, the cupping, the coffee shows, all those kind of things and watching people's lives transform. Fantastic. When I first came home, I couldn't even look people in the eye. You need to own what you did. As soon as you can do that, that's when you move forward and you say, okay, if you have a problem with me, that's got to be your problem because I'm making a difference. We are worthy of an opportunity, an opportunity uh, to make a living for ourselves and, and, and certainly an opportunity at redemption. God used, I have a being in so many ways in my life that helped me do what I'm doing today. And so it's a joy, you know, I'm, I'm humbled and I'm blessed that God would choose me and use me to help him. Is owning your own business all it's cracked up to be? No way, no way. Would I do anything else? No, I can't imagine doing anything else.
What a beautiful story of redemption. And when we uh, learned about this coffee company, we thought, hey, we want to support that. We love that. We love everything they are about. And so uh, you've probably noticed out in the foyer that we've been revamping our coffee bar area. Uh, we noticed that what we have is great, but it's small and it's a crowded space. And, and when you serve coffee, people drink coffee. And so we find ourselves being able to use more <laughs> coffee and, and then we refill it a lot. So we're kind of revamping our whole coffee bar area, which you will see finished next week. But we decided that when we wanted to do that, and then we discovered this coffee company, we decided that that's a coffee company that we feel like we ought to support. And so starting next week, we will be serving, brewing and serving, I have a bean coffee. And so that's what we will be essentially supporting, uh, which just gets me really excited because I love everything that they're doing. I think it's holy and, and it's the work of Jesus and it just totally reinforces everything we've been saying, right? And so uh, next week is actually going to be an exciting Sunday for a few reasons. Exciting is not a good word to use, <laughs> but exciting in some ways, uh, bittersweet in other ways, because next Sunday is going to be the last Sunday that we have the Frank Hauser family with us. Uh, they are going to be moving to Champaign, Illinois uh, really soon, and so that's going to be their last Sunday with us. And so next week, uh, while we are kicking off this new coffee area and coffee situation, we also want to invite you to join us at 930 during the Sunday school hour uh, for donuts in a time of fellowship with the Frank Hauser family before they leave. So uh, we're dismissing Sunday school next week. We're all just invited to come at 9.30, just hang out. It'll be very casual, low-key, just show up for donuts and coffee and fellowship. Uh, and we're going to be uh, wishing them well as, we, as they uh, step out into a new place. And we're going to be praying over them next week. So uh, we hope that you'll be able to join us for that. All right, some, a few other announcements before I let you go this morning. Don't forget about this month's uh, supplies that we're collecting for Operation Christmas Child. Um, all the information is out in the foyer if you want to see more of that. Uh, we've got just a few weeks left before the Restore hosts their back-to-school bash, believe it or not, <laughs> less than a month away uh, for that. So if you haven't had a chance to look and see uh, how you might be able to volunteer, the goal is to exhaust you every week as I share that with you every week, uh, hoping that in case you forget about it and you're available, that you'll be able to go check that out and see if there's a place for you to serve. Um, also, I want to share with you a week from tomorrow, we, uh, we Bo and I are going to be taking four kiddos to kids camp, to the Illinois District Kids Camp, and Bo has been in charge of that whole camp, and so he's been making efforts to, to plan that whole week, and so uh, because of that, we are aware of some slots that we still need to fill, and so I know this is, this is a, a, a far cry, and maybe this, you know, maybe no one is interested, but just in case you are, uh, if you have nothing to do the week of the 18th through the 22nd, and you would like to go to kids camp, doesn't that sound fun? Then we want to let you know we can use your help. <laughs> and so um, if you are able to help in any way, then just see Bo and let him know. Uh, there's no cost for adult sponsors, um, and we'll let you know what all is entailed in that. But uh, we, you can never have enough help at kids camp. And so just in case you have been dying to go to church camp because it's been so long, there, you're welcome. You're welcome, part two, <laughs> for something else today. All right, 
And I think that is the, oh yeah, preteen and teen group will be meeting tonight downstairs. Uh, for those of you that are preteens or teenagers, uh, it's been a while, but we're excited to get back together tonight. So now that you are fully informed and hopefully excited uh, and full of God's Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to stand this morning. I offer this benediction to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. May you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior. May you go and be open to those who are before you, loving them as Christ loved them, having grace-filled conversations with those who aren't like you. And may you share the love of Jesus with everyone you meet. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.